listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Now here's the great thing about the Word of God. The great thing about the Word of God is that it is not simply for a historical account of the early church. And as we're digging into the book of Acts, that's what we see. It's a great history book. But it's not just a historical account for our information. But God's Word is for our transformation. And, and God has a desire. And, and God's Word is designed that as we take His Word and we read His Word and we apply God's Word into our lives, it's living what we're learning, that we are transformed by the power and the Spirit of God through His Word. And it has been my prayer this morning, and, and with a sense of excitement and yet a, fear, a sense of fear and trepidation as, as, as we approach this text here this morning, my prayer is that God would show up and that God would do a work in your life, that God would do a work in my life. I need a touch from God. I need a word from God today. And one of the great ways that happens is when we read the Word on our own, when we gather together like this, we put ourselves in a position for God to speak, and I trust that God will speak to each one of us this morning. So let's pick things up here in Acts chapter 18, and I encourage you to write down the very first thing um, here this morning. I encourage you to write this down. Gospel faithfulness leads to gospel fruitfulness. All right, gospel faithfulness leads to gospel fruitfulness. That is a promise. That is a guarantee of what we were even singing about this morning. That is a yes and an amen in Christ Jesus. So let's read here the first four verses or so. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy uh, along with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he, and he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For they were tent makers by trade, and he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now last week, if you remember in Acts 17, Paul was in Athens and he was there on his own. And however, he did not stay in Athens for very long. It is believed that he was only there maybe a number of weeks. We're not sure why, but he didn't stay there all that long. And so then he, he ended up going on to Corinth, which was about 50 miles away. This would be about a two-day journey by foot, but you could also take it by sea. If the winds were blowing properly, he could have gotten there in about four hours. So that was pretty fast time tra travel. Two days of walking or four, eight, four, four hours on a ship and he could be in Corinth. Now last week as we were talking about what Athens was like. And if Athens would have been a culture shock for him in seeing all the cities just lined with idols and, and with statues. And, and, and remember he was just overwhelmed at, at just all of the gods and all of the statues that were there in Athens. And so if Athens would have been a culture shock for him, Corinth would have been a moral shock for him. Because, I mean, just by, by what he saw there. And, and not only was Corinth an important trade center, um, a, a trade route between Rome and Asia, pretty much everything went through, through Corinth. And, uh, and, and it was also a place for po a political center, as well as it was a city of great wealth. People were making great amounts of money. There were a lot of tourists. There were a lot of, uh, of 
sailors. It was a port city, so it had a bustling economy, great wealth. All of these sailors and travelers and lots and lots of wickedness. It was a wicked city by what, uh, by what was going on there. And, and, and we get a lot of this from, yes, secular history, but even God's word. I love the way God's word supports God's word. And we get a picture of all of this. And, and, and we understand a little bit about what the city was like when Paul was then writing later on the letters of 1st and 2nd Corinthians to this city. One comment I read this week about Corinth, and I found it a little common and yet rather sad. If you were to take modern-day Las Vegas, which is often referred to what is Sin City, that, that the modern-day Las Vegas would look like a quilting bee compared to what was going on in Corinth. No offense to quilters, but, you know, I mean, it, it was just, just one of those things that it was just, you know, I mean, this was a sinful city. And so he arrives in Corinth, and he's there on his own, and he needs to support himself. And so he goes out and he's looking for some work. And so for, for Paul being here in this moral shock of, of being in, in Corinth on his own, he needs to support himself, so he needs to get looking for work. And again, just remember this truth and this reality. We're going to see this throughout the message today. Gospel faithfulness leads to gospel fruitfulness. And as we work through this text this morning, as you write down these principles, again, I, it's not just for our information, but I, I, I would ask you, I would implore you to be looking at your own life and saying, okay, the way that I'm living my life, are these truths, are these a reality in, in, in my life where I'm at right now? Do I need a touch from God in a particular area in my life? And the answer to that is probably yes, I need that. And I'm sure that I'm in good company with that, with you here today. But that we are looking at our lives, that we're not just about living our lives for ourselves, but we are living for gospel fruitfulness. We are living for the glory of God and seeing a harvest of souls of those people around us that would come to know Christ. And we're going to look at these important principles, and one of the first ones is a willingness to do whatever it takes. Gospel faithfulness that leads to gospel fruitfulness has a willingness to do whatever it takes. Here we see Paul, he's making tents. He was a tent maker by trade. Jewish boys, found this out, this is very interesting. Jo Jewish boys were always taught a trade as, as work was very important. It was part of your reputation. It was part of the Jewish culture. And so fathers always instilled that their sons were given a trade. And, and, and there was an old Jewish saying that went, if you don't teach your son to work, you teach him to steal. And so I kind of thought that was, was rather interesting. And so Paul was being trained as a tent maker. So here we see the Apostle Paul getting busy, making tents during the week. And then on the Sabbath, he's in the synagogues proclaiming Jesus. Here again, we see this willingness to do whatever it takes. This reveals to us Paul's humble heart. There's a heart of humility, a heart of humility in doing this. Even though he had had elite training by some of the best teachers of the day. He had a powerful conversion story, meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus. In Acts 14, we see that he looks across the room. He sees a guy who had been crippled from, from, from birth, and, and, and he, he, he yells out to him, stand up on your feet and be healed. And he was. He cast out demons. He was one of the original prison break episodes that we see in the word of God. Preacher, church planter, miracle man, missionary, and a tent maker. He was willing to do whatever it takes. He wasn't so high and mighty that he was above working with his hands. Now, the Bible does teach us the principle that those who preach the gospel should live by the gospel, but sometimes that just isn't necessary, isn't possible. 
I have a great uh, respect for tent makers today, people who are working on the side, working a full-time job or a part-time or full-time job uh, in, in secular employment and planting a church and doing missions work on the side. That is important kind of work, and I'm so thankful for those who do that. And for Paul, at this point, it wasn't possible for him to live from the gospel. He didn't walk into to Corinth and, and walk into the synagogue and give his little spiritual resume of some of the things that he had pulled off and then say, hey, you, $20. You, 75 Hey, I saw the mule that you have. I, I'm asking you for 500 you know, and remember, yes, I am the apostle Paul. He, that wasn't him. He was just willing to get busy with his hands. He was willing to do whatever it took. It wasn't so high and mighty. And you know what, folks? This principle, it applies to us today. If we want to have lives of gospel fruitfulness in our lives, it means we're willing to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes for the, for, for the gospel to go forward, to reach out to those around us. If Jesus was not too high and mighty to wash the stinking, dirty feet of his disciples, and Paul was not too high and mighty to make tents with his hands, then you and I are not too high or mighty for any work in the kingdom of God or any work that it comes to that needs to be done. Yet for some reason we get this idea and it's really bad here in North America especially. We kind of get entitled, we start thinking that church is for me. That, that, that the gospel has landed on me and so now this means I can go to church and, and I can you know, even you know, um, attend regularly, even perhaps even take up church membership and, and, and different things like that. But we come with this list of expectation that a church is to serve me and my family and meet my needs. And, 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 uh, and, 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 and there are certain jobs in a church, like there's just certain things I would never do, all right? That kind of an attitude. We come with this kind of an expectation and it's just the wrong kind of understanding. And as a pastor, we can be primary and, and, and very good at this, especially as a church grows and gets more established. We, it starts to go kind of in our thinking that all of a sudden we've arrived and, and there's certain work that you no longer need to do. Now, now, it's true that a pastor doesn't need to be doing everything and yet, yet there's a willingness to be able to do whatever it takes. We get this so backwards. One of the things that just, if you want to like, like curdle the milk in my cereal. If you want, want something that really kind of drives me crazy, I don't see it often and I don't go looking for it because usually my blood pressure and, and then, then like seriously, if I wasn't a believer, I'd probably be in jail just because of some of the things I would do. I would probably do a little vandalism at churches when sometimes I see, um, and, and, and please don't, don't take this seriously because I don't think I would. Uh, I don't think so. Anyways, it, um, when, when you see a sign in a parking lot and it says reserved and, and it's right near the, you know, one of the side doors or something, reserved for the senior pastor parking or associate pastor parking or elder parking and you kind of have them all lined up there and, and it's just like, no, if, if anything, we should be parking the furthest away. We want to serve people. We want to set example. We want to leave better, better parking spots for, for visitors or for those who, who, who need a space closer up for, for various reasons, for young moms, for seniors, for, for people who, who, who just need that kind of help and, and it's just some of these little ways that we are able to all of a sudden we start thinking that we've arrived and we're kind of elite and kind of, you know, just just certain things are below me. No, Paul got busy with his hands and he was ready to do whatever it takes kind of mentality. And these last few years of church planting has taught me and many others so much in this principle. You do whatever it takes, not for your glory, but for the glory of God. There's no job beneath anyone in this church. I want you to know that. 
And in fact, I believe that some of the most important jobs are the ones that are behind the scenes, are the ones happening even right now in the other rooms here this morning. It's happening at 6.30 when, car, when a truck is pulling up to, to load up the trailer and, and to bring it here. And it's, it's all of these behind the scenes that we come up and, and, and we enjoy what we're able to, to have here this morning. And it's because of an attitude and mindset, hey, we'll do whatever it takes to get the gospel out. Love that attitude. That is a life that leads to gospel fruitfulness. And oh, dear folks, I, I, I trust that this is be a principle that we would just be willing and ready to serve with humble hearts, not assuming that others will do the work that, that we see around us. And this can happen in the workplace. This came up uh, even in, in our small group recently, how, how we can set an example by having a humble attitude, being willing to do whatever it takes in the workplace, cleaning washrooms. Uh, filling up the water jug, I, I think, was, was one of the things. No one ever seems to fill up the water jug, but they know that so-and-so will do it. And hey, do it with a humble heart. Do whatever it takes. Be a servant. This takes an attitude of humility. Not our glory, but it is for God's glory. We don't know now exactly if, if Paul answered a help-wanted ad, if he went to the local post office or down in the markets and he saw this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, that were, you know, had this you know, job-wanted, tent-making kind of thing. We don't know how he came across them in the city of Corinth, but he comes across uh, this couple, and, and it's pretty cool. And, and so we see the next thing, the blessing of new friends. Paul meets this couple, Aquila and Priscilla. They were Jews that were now in Corinth but were forced to leave, come to Corinth because of um, the Emperor Claudius who there was some sort of dispute that was going on and some sort of an anti-Semitic dispute that, that was going on and so he just kicked all of the Jewish people out of, uh, out of Rome. Said, just get out of here and because they were Jewish, they ended up coming to the city of Corinth and so there they started making tents. They met up with Paul. They invited him to, to work with them and it even would seem that he even shared accommodations with them. But more than tent makers and more than good friends, they became co-laborers in the gospel. And, and, and we would see, we see here from the scriptures that they would work at making tents throughout the course of the week. And then on the Sabbath, Paul would be there preaching in the synagogues. And Paul would come to treasure this relationship with Aquila and Priscilla. We learn more about them in the book of Acts and then in some of the other epistles, um, Paul mentions them. And it is believed that Aquila and Priscilla were from some, actually, from some distinguished Jewish families. But what truly defined them was not their heritage, but it was their commitment to the gospel, the local church, and to the Apostle Paul. We see these commitments that they have, and it, it just runs throughout their, their lives. Later on, when Paul moved on to Ephesus, they moved on to Ephesus with him. When he left Ephesus, they stayed in Ephesus to continue on, to encourage the church, to, to, to encourage and, and, and to see the church of Jesus Christ being built up there. Later on in their lives, we understand that they went back to Rome, no doubt burdened for Rome. Uh, Claudius had since died and things that opened up for them to go back there. And what do we find them doing in Rome? They're hosting a church in their home. They're all about the gospel. They're all about the church. And when Paul is coming to the end of his life in, in, in 2 Timothy, one of the, some of the last people he, he, he especially gives a greeting to are to his dear friends, Aquila and Priscilla. And, he, that's, and, and, and in Romans 16, he writes this about them. He says, they risk their neck, risk their necks for my life. To whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. These tent makers, this couple, made a significant impact on Paul and all the churches, it would seem. They had a powerful impact by being tent makers. They were tent makers by occupation, but church planting, the gospel, was their mission, and Jesus Christ 
and telling people about him was their passion. Thousands of years have passed and we're still talking about them. That's the way you make an impact. That's the way you make a significant impact in society, in history, by being willing to do whatever happens and we see the enjoyment here of new friendships, new, com- new connections. And, and here this speaks of, of community, how we need community with one another. We can't be an island when it comes to the Christian life. You can't live a fruitful life without community with brothers and sisters in the Lord. This is so necessary. He need, Paul needed these folks and you and I need deep and dear folks in our lives. I'm not just talking about friendships or associations that w- with people. I'm talking about doing life together. This is partnering, working, serving the Lord together, studying the word, uh, word of God together, praying with one another, having some depth which builds some strength, builds strength in our life. It's so needed by every one of us. If Paul needed Priscilla and Aquila's, and then we're going to see some others in his life, so do we. And you know what? I'm so thankful in this church, and I'm so thankful in the years that I've been in ministry for the various Priscilla's and Aquila's that have been a part of, of my life and our life then as, as Charlotte and I were married and, and, and have been involved in ministry all our married lives. So many who have walked with us who have joined the journey and some of them even have the scars to prove it and the wounds that that have happened that will happen as you do life together and you serve the Lord together I believe Harvest Bible Chapel Kelowna is here today not because of me not because of Harvest Oakville all of those are helpful and, and necessary when it comes to a church, but I believe Harvest Clone is here today is because of an Aquila and a Priscilla spirit that, that exists here amongst many of our people. I think in particular, back to a conversation I had about five years ago at a Dairy Queen. Our family was out with a Priscilla and Aquila at a Dairy Queen in July of uh, about five years ago, I believe it was. We didn't even know this couple that well. But partways through, as we were licking our ice cream on that hot July day, he leaned over and said, whatever the Lord tells you to do, we're with you. We're with you. Just you say the word, we're there. And it's faithful folks like that that come alongside and continue in the work of the Lord. Now, sometimes the Lord moves Priscilla and Aquila's on to other ministries and in and, and other locations, and yet we see a deep friendship that persisted, that, 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 that continued on throughout their lives. The loyalty, the love, the willingness to do whatever it takes in community with one another, working through issues, praying through issues, crying through issues together. Now, it's Christ who builds his church, but it's on the faithfulness of his servants, that the gospel goes forth. It is our job to be faithful to, and I am so thankful for that spirit here amongst our people. But here's something else we see here in this passage. We see the faithfulness of old friends. Look at here in in verse five. It says, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. Again, here it speaks of community, and we're going to explain this in a moment, but we see here not just community, but we see loyalty. Loyalty over the years that took place here. These guys, Timothy and Silas, it just seems they just keep coming back for more. Paul, as I mentioned, started in Corinth. He was on his own. Here, Timothy was just a young man. 
He was just learning the ropes of ministry. He had his life before him. He had probably many different options. He struggled with being somewhat fearful or timid, we know. He, He seemed a little young and even at times a little sickly. And yet he continued to follow along and be part of the ministry that Paul was a part of. And then we see Silas. We see him, he shows up here in Corinth along with Timothy, probably still has some some wounds that are healing on his back from the beating that he and Paul took in Philippi. And so easily these these men could have said, you know what, we did our part. We did what we needed to do and and, and ministry's hard and it's tough. And many people would have excused them, said, yeah, just go on. You know what, we understand. You know, you've had it hard, you've had it tough. Look at the wounds that have happened. Take a break or, you know, go pursue your own dreams and your own stuff now and That's just not the case. There's a loyalty here in the gospel. There's a loyalty to stick together no matter what. And so easily they could have just moved on and not have shown up in Corinth, but they come. And what do they do? They bring an encouraging report. We find this in 1 Thessalonians 3. You can write down uh, that reference and, and you can read about that. Here, while Paul is here in Corinth, he's writing to the church in Thessalonica to encourage them. And, and so he's writing about, hey, I'm just so, so blessed to hear what God is doing, that the, the church is alive, that it's growing. And, and, and they brought him an encouraging report of the church in Thessalonica that, that Paul was only able to spend a short time at because of persecution and because of an angry mob, he had to move on. They also brought with him an offering. That's why it says here that that Paul was then be able to devote himself to the word of God when they came. They brought an offering from the church in Philippi. And it just blessed him. And he was able to now devote himself 100%. He no longer had to to make tents, do that from, you know, Monday to to Friday and and then synagogue on on, on the Saturday or on the Sabbath. No, instead now he was able to devote himself to the word of God 100%. Because they brought him a gift from the church in Philippi, which was not a wealthy church, but they gave generously to him. And now Paul was able to devote himself. And Paul was so blessed. And folks, in order for gospel fruitfulness to happen in our lives, we need to strive to be people who are committed to do whatever it takes. A spirit of humility, a spirit of loyalty that, that, that we're going to walk with one another. We're going to walk with those in our small group. We're going to walk with, with other believers that we are close to. We're going to walk with them in loyalty, in love, that, that we're going to speak the truth together. We're going to share together and pray together and support one another. We're going to laugh together and cry together. That's why group time is so important here at Harvest, that, that we encourage people to be in a group. And, and, and at times I'm just astounded and sometimes amazed at how we can plan and prioritize so much in our life and, 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 and program and prioritize this kind of important thing out of our lives. We get too busy and it's just like, well, if I have time left over. We need to be in community with one another. God's word has, has designed it or tells us that we've been designed in a way that we need to be in community with the body of Christ, with like-minded brothers and sisters praying together, supporting one another, being able to receive but also able to give. And so we see that a fruitful, a, gos- a life of gospel fruitfulness means that we're committed to, to loyalty and community and relationships with one another. We're willing to do whatever it takes. And so now this crew of five, think about it, Paul, Silas, Timothy, Aquila, Priscilla, New friends, old friends, willing to do whatever it takes. Loyalty, commitment. Oh, this fired up Paul, I tell you. It got pretty exciting what took place. This got him going. It encouraged him by, 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 the, by the news that the churches in Thessalonica were doing well, this financial gift from Berea, and now it's like it's time to go. And, and what this leads to is a boldness to preach the word. 
Because of faithful friends, the power of the Holy Spirit, the word that that Paul had to preach, we see that then here in verse 5, it says, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus, that the Christ was Jesus. He was able to devote himself 100%, and boy, did he go. And we see that he was emboldened, he was able, he was filled with courage. This, this speaks of courage. When we know that when we're going into the workplace, into our neighborhoods, that we have brothers and sisters standing with us, praying for us, encouraging us, holding us accountable in, in what we say, in the lives that we live, it gives us a boldness and a courage to proclaim Jesus. And this is what Paul did. And, and, and look in verse 6. It says, and, they, and when they opposed him and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. That word reviled means that he was opposed in an abusive and an angry manner. Here, what, what Paul was doing was following the commands of Jesus in Matthew 10, 14, when Jesus says, hey, if anyone will not receive the word that you are giving to them, if they're not going to listen to your words, shake the dust off your sandals and, when you, and, and leave that house or leave that town. You see, this here is a statement, shaking the, the dust off your garments or off your sandals, it, it is a statement, is a sign of protest against their hard-heartedness. It's like, okay, that's fine. Shake the dust off, move on. When a conversation, folks, when a conversation with someone, whether it's online, whether it's face-to-face, whether it's over the phone, whenever a conversation about the gospel, about Jesus, about the Bible, about any, any kind of spiritual um, conversation in that way, as soon as it becomes heated, ugly, personal, argumentative, abusive, it's done. Stop. Delete that feed. Do, do whatever. I mean, just love that person, but stop just engaging and trying to, to see a battle. The conversation, that argument is done. It's over. And that's what Jesus told the disciples, don't, don't keep going. If they refuse you, if they refuse the message, wipe the dust off your feet, shake them off, shake them off your garment. But he also refers here when he talks about the blood being on your own hands. He says, your blood be on your own heads. Here he's referring to Ezekiel and, and, and the passages are there for you to write down. He's, he's talking about the image of Ezekiel, about the watchman, that those who share the gospel that those that we share the gospel with, if people refuse the gospel message, they're bringing judgment upon their own heads. It's it, our job, we are to be faithful in sharing the gospel. What they do with it, it's on their heads. The blood is on their heads. But this shows us the importance that we need to share the gospel. Because if we don't share with those around us, the blood is then on our heads. This doesn't guilt us into sharing. We don't share out of guilt. We share out of, we're constrained, we're compelled for the love of God, what he's done in our hearts and in, in saving our souls that we want to tell others. We don't want people to go to a Christless eternity in hell. And for that reason, we share the gospel and we do it out of love. But we don't allow it to become an argument. When it, when it becomes that way, shake the dust and move on. And, and that's what Paul does. He leaves the synagogue. The synagogue people wouldn't take him anymore. The Jewish uh, leaders there were, were, were closed-minded. They didn't want to hear what they were talking about. They became jealous and angry. And he's like, I'm done. And look what happens. Love this, verse 7. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Isn't that cool? He's just like, okay, I'm out of here. He goes from the synagogue. And more than likely, the synagogue was probably joined to the other, um, to the house. A lot of the houses, they're all joined together. And, and so he just goes out one door and he goes into Titius Justice's house here. 
And he goes next door to the synagogue. Then we see Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. So he would have walked out of the synagogue and right over next door. And it says, and many Corinthians, it says many Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. I just love this. Paul leaves the synagogue and he goes next door and he opens up shop. Crispus, the chief synagogue ruler, believes in Christ. The guy living next door is wondering, hearing all, all of this news. He gets saved, his whole house. And we see many people. And, and, the, and in verse 8 there, the Greek, in the original Greek, in how this is written, the way that these verbs are, are in an imperfect tense, which implies salvations, baptisms, people getting saved. This was a regular occurrence. It was happening day by day by day. Good things were happening. And so we see here, ultimately, we, we see all of this coming together. Gospel faithfulness leads to gospel fruitfulness. Humility, community, loyalty, courage, and sharing the gospel. All of these things are going on. And we see what God does. A life that is living, deepening in community with one another, loyalty of new friends and, and new friends and old friends, allows for a boldness to be able to share the gospel and people get saved. And it's understanding we all have a part in this. I pray, it is my hope, it is my desire that in this room here today we have some Apostle Pauls. We have some pastors, we have some church planters, we have some missionaries. Folks that are ready to do what God has called them to do. I pray and I know that already in this room there are Aquilas and Priscillas, but I pray for many more, Timothys and Silases, that, that, that the heart of these people, we would, would see what they are and we would say, oh God, would this just be a truth and a reality in my, in my life, in our life, and that together as individuals, as families, as a church, as a body of Christ, together we would be emboldened to proclaim Christ in our neighborhoods, in our community. We would stand and pray for and with one another in the good times as, as we're going out to share the gospel, we're texting someone that we're close to and, and saying, pray for me, I'm, I'm I'm going in, I'm going in, I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going up to the hospital. This person, is, I'm going over to their house. Pray for me. I'm, I'm going to be sharing the gospel. Pray that there's an open door. Folks, there's no higher call than this. This is what we're called to. If your life has been changed by the gospel, if Christ is your Savior, if he is your Lord, our lives first and foremost primarily are to be about the gospel. Everything else, it's seeking his kingdom first. His kingdom first in our lives and the lives of those around us. And then all the other stuff gets added on to that. This is what we're called for. This is, this is our mission. And remember that the job's not all on us to do this. We are to be faithful. I love what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 to 7. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Notice the humility there. But God who gives the growth. Galatians 6, 9. Folks, hear this word from, from God. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Fruitfulness will come. Not only will there, as we trust God, as we walk together, as we are sanctified together through the word of God, through community with one another, not only do we, are the fruit of the spirit become more evident in our lives, there is a gospel fruitfulness. People will notice, they will see what's going on in our lives, they see the change, they see the attitude, they see what God is doing, we're emboldened to share the word of God and there's gospel fruitfulness. And I believe we can trust God for a harvest of souls when we are faithful in this way. However, the big however, gospel faithfulness will mean seasons of weariness and fear. 
Look at verse 9, and it says, And then the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. Now, why does the Lord say this to him? Because Paul was afraid. The Lord wouldn't tell Paul to not be afraid if he wasn't afraid. And we know from, from other writings in, in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 3.1, he, he's even saying, pray for us. It's difficult here. It's my words. It's my paraphrase. Pray that the word of God would have free course. And then he goes on to mention there's wicked men. And so he's, he's getting afraid. And Paul knew what was coming. He was a smarty. He, he knew exactly what was going on. He saw this. I mean, this happened time and time again in his life and his ministry. He preaches the word. In the midst of hostile audiences, significant number of people get saved and get baptized and a church starts and Paul gets a beating. That's just his life. Here we go again. Folks, Paul wasn't a machine. He was flesh and blood like you and me. He had hopes and dreams. He would get wounded, at times confused, and here we see him, he's fearful, he's afraid. And the Lord tells him, do not be afraid. And look what else the Lord told him, here, told him here. He says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Look what God told him. I encourage you to write this down, and you'll need this for your small group study this week as well. Fear not. God's word for the weary and afraid. Fear not. Don't quit. Trust my word. I am at work. Know that God is already at work. We trust the word of God. We don't quit. And we're not to be afraid. And we know that Paul was tempted to, to go silent. He was tempted to move on. He was tempted to stop speaking, to leave town. And folks, fear does that, doesn't it? It causes us to shrink back, shrink back into our homes, shrink back into our little, as we call it, our little happy place, but we're not happy. Fear will do that. It will paralyze, it will rob, it destroys. It causes us to make wrong decisions. Paul was, uh, was, to stop, was about to stop speaking, to leave town. That was the wrong decision. It makes us want to quit. Fear will do that. It kills our joy, saps our strength, why is it that the most repeated command that we have in the word of God, and someone has, 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 I saw this week, I haven't researched it fully, that 365 times in the word of God it says, don't be afraid or fear not. Why does God say this? Because we get fearful and we get afraid. And we're to be reminding ourselves of the truths of God's word and trust his word. We have a tendency to fear. Oh, what do we fear over all kinds of things? Well, we fear rejection. We fear, fear others. We fear... Um, the thoughts and the words of others, the impressions and ideas that, that, that people may have with us can cause us to be fearful. Fear of the future, fear of health, fear of dying, fear of finances, fears in our family. God, as we were singing earlier, folks, God's word is yes and amen to all the promises to, to, to counteract all of our fears. God can be trusted. We can rely on him in this way. And folks, I, I want you to know I speak from this like from the pit. There was a season in my life years ago where anxiety and fear had such a grip on my life 
And honestly, I know that unless God showed up in my life, it would have either shortened or drastically altered my life. The dangerous trajectory I was on because of fear would have meant that I certainly would not be here today as a pastor. It was destroying me, it, destroying my life from the inside out. Problem is, most people didn't, no one even knew of the struggle. I was still faking it because pastors weren't, were supposed to be perfect. Pastors weren't supposed to struggle. And finally, the Lord broke me and I started opening my mouth and telling others about my struggle and as important and as wonderful and as needed and as necessary was the encouragement and the accountability and the help and support from, from Charlotte and from other family members and from dear friends. I needed a word from God. I needed words from God. I needed his word to penetrate my heart. And that started a journey of writing out passages of scripture Mighty passages of the word and, 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 and trusting in those words even though I didn't see it. I've been given this book called 31 Days of Praise and I'm writing them out and I'm praying over these words that I'm writing out from the word of God and these prayers that go along with it and nothing. But at the end, God, I believe you by faith. Finally, on day 17, things started to break. It was like the dam that was where the fear was holed up in was finally starting to break. It was a time, it was process, it was prayer, it was accountability, but most importantly is the word of God. And the primary way that God speaks to us is through his word. That's why we need to get to know his word. And look what the Lord said to Paul. And folks, some of you here today, you came here and you didn't know that I was going to be talking on this. And you need to hear these words today. Fear not. Don't quit. Some of you are thinking about quitting things you shouldn't be thinking about quitting. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's, maybe it's your faith. Trust the word of God. Believe in faith and know he's already at work. You say, but nothing's changing. He's at work in you. He's causing you to come to the bottom to surrender and say, God, I'm done. No more. I quit. I trust in you. You've been trying to do it all on your own. And God is saying, let me take this one. Allow my word to cleanse you. Allow the spoken of word of God that you hear today and the written word of God to be an anchor that you're going to cling to this day. For some of you, it may be on this snowy day in early November, time change Sunday. That's when I... That's when I hit the bottom in the day I said, okay, God, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm not going to fear. I'm going to trust your presence that you are with me. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to trust your word and I'm going to believe by faith that you're already at work and start thanking him in advance for already what he's doing. And lastly, I encourage you to write down gospel faithfulness requires trusting in the promises of God. Verse 11, it says, and he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. What did God tell him? He says, no one will harm you. And he says, and many will be saved. Many will be saved. You can read the full details of verses 12 to 17 this week. I encourage you to do that, but I'll give you the synopsis of what takes place. The Jews, of course, mount a united attack, the Jewish leaders, and they come up against Paul. And they haul him before a Roman tribunal. It's like, here we go again. 
They falsely accuse him in front of, of, of the leader before the proconsul. And just as Paul was about to speak and give his defense, the proconsul leader says, get out of here. Get out of here. I don't want to hear from this. This is your department. This is your mess. This is semantics. This is your wording. This is, get out of here. And so it's just like, oh, show's over. And Jews were still pretty upset, pretty mad. We're not sure why or how for whatever reason, but they're pretty angry. They end up lay, laying a beating on the new ruler of the synagogue, Sothenes. Sothenes, and we don't know why he, exactly they beat him. But this is so cool. What ends up happening to Sothenes? He gets saved. He comes to Christ. When you read 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 1, Paul mentions him as a brother in Christ. I love it. Who are those impossible, difficult people in your life that you would think they would never get saved? Paul sees this happening. 1 Corinthians 6, I mean, the cesspool of sin, this is the, the place in Corinth where he stays now for 18 months. He's never stayed any place this long. Later on, he'd stay in Ephesus for uh, even a more significant amount of time, but now he stays 18 months. And what does he see? He just has to open the door and it's Sin City on steroids going on before him. And what does he end up seeing? First Corinthians 6, we see that God saved drunkards. He saved, saved revilers, the sexually immoral, thieves, the greeter, gre uh, the, not the greeters. May well, sometimes greeters need to be saved in church. And it, uh, but the greedy, greedy folks, the swindlers, the idolaters. Folks, God's power to transform is without limit. And God used Paul and his crazy crew, Priscilla and Aquila, Timothy and Titus, Sosthenes, Crispus, others that came to know Christ, and a good-sized church was established. Not a perfect church, no church is. And it almost never happened because Paul almost quit. He almost gave up. Aren't you glad he didn't? Are we ready to trust the promises of God's word and continue to keep going? Continuing to walk in, in a faithful trust in God and his promises? You know, as a tool belt is to a construction worker and instruments are to a surgeon, as believers in Christ, we need to have sharp and ready tools in our tool belts. And that is the word of God. Again, this week in small groups, get into a small group, encourage you to be a part of one. There's going to be opportunity for you to build your tool belt in advance and, 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 and share your tool belt with others. The tool belts of scripture, of God's word, that are an encouragement to you. Spend time studying the word of God. Maybe you already have some go-to ones. Maybe you need some new go-to ones to, to add to that tool belt. Fill it up and encourage one another with the word of God this week. Allow God's word to, to, to wash over your lives and cling to the word of God. That is where our hope is. It's not in hope that economics will change or we get a better report from the doctor and my new meds will work. No. The help comes from God first and foremost and primarily. That's where we turn to. That's where our hope lies. And he will help us with all the rest. Oh God, may he, he give us the faith to hold on to his promises. Maybe you're praying for that lost or wayward loved one, that person at work, that neighbor who just seems impossible. And you're wondering, how can you make a difference in the lives of those around you? Or maybe you're battling with thoughts and fears and failure and, and uselessness. Oh God, 
May he give you the strength through his word to restore and to strengthen you this morning. And this morning, there may be one of you, dozens of you, or maybe most of us who need to hear this from the word of the Lord today. You're struggling with fear. And I trust even now, as we bring our time here to, to a close, that you would just even close your eyes right where you are. You can close your Bibles up at this point and allow God's word to wash over you. I've done enough talking. It's time to hear from the Lord. Isaiah 41. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 43. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Psalm 26. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, yet carrying seeds to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying their sheaves with them. There's the promise of fruitfulness. Psalm 56, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? This I know, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid what man can do to me. 2 Timothy 1, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Philippians 1, 6, and I am sure of this, that he who has began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And Romans 8, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. As you continue with heads bowed, I encourage you just to, to wherever you're at today, to pour your heart out to God. Remember that gospel faithfulness will lead to gospel fruitfulness. If you don't know Jesus today, if you have never placed your faith and your trust in him, if you've never put that confidence believing that Jesus is the son of God who died in your place for your sins, you can receive Jesus Christ today. We'd love to talk to you afterwards and, and how you can start that relationship with him. Maybe you've been running from God Maybe you've allowed fear to put you into a corner. The cares and the burdens of this world or of your body or of your mind or the work or whatever it is and it's been a distraction and it, it means nothing but, oh, there might be fruitfulness in your work but your soul is shriveling up. And may there be a willingness, a humility to do whatever it takes 
to be right with the Lord, to be right with those around you. May you enjoy the blessing, the commitment of community and loyalty to one another. And may there be great boldness in this room. I pray that this week that we would live what we learn, that we would take the word of God and as he grows and he builds in our life and we have opportunity to share God's word with others, that our lives would require an explanation as they see strength and courage building in us. Maybe we'd be quick to give an answer for the hope that we have. We're going to come to a time now of worship, remembering the Lord's Supper, his sacrifice for our sins that he died on the cross for us. And, and this is for believers. This is for people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And it is your desire today to follow him full on. For whatever reason, if, you're, if that doesn't describe you or just where you're at today, just that's okay. Just may this be a time of worship. God's word reminds us that, that when it comes to the Lord's Supper, we, we must spend time examining our heart, confess areas of sin, if things need to be made right, make those things right before you partake of the Lord's Supper. And the communion elements will be available at the front for you to take a piece of bread and dip it in a cup of grape juice and you can partake together. Just let this not be a ritual. Maybe a time, a walk of faith, perhaps for many of us here today that we say, God, I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna trust you with where I'm at right now, here today. I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to build that tool belt. I'm going to dig into your word. I'm going to get into community with others and walk with others and have others walk with me. And may this be one of the most incredible days in your life as it's a day it all changed. The day that I said yes to God. I quit running away from God and away from these things we've talked about and running to God and to his promises. Lord, I pray that even now as we worship you, as we come needy, we're so thankful that you come with fullness towards us, a fullness of love, a fullness of your presence and your power by your Holy Spirit. Would you do a work at filling us up, restoring us? Oh God, may your Holy Spirit be at work in our lives, convicting us of sin, reminding us of who we are and these truths that we've heard from your word here today. And then give us the faith and the boldness to Take that walk out of here throughout the course of this week, a walk of faith and boldness to share you, Jesus, to, to tackle the issues that we need to face in our lives in the confidence and the power of your word and your truth. And Jesus, we thank you that you came to this earth as a sacrifice, the son of God, the creator of this world, left everything out of love for us. We don't deserve it, but we receive it and we're so thankful for it. And may you just do a deepening work in each one of us today as we worship you, as we worship around these incredible reminders of your broken body, broken for us, your blood that was shed on our behalf for our sins. And we just thank you for the forgiveness and the healing that comes through this wonderful cross of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, <laughs> and then the victory, the resurrection. And so we celebrate and we worship here this morning, we pray. Let's stand together.